Lionel Schmileski, welcome to the African Tech Roundup. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, absolutely. Uh, perhaps let's start with you explaining how an MBA from Rowan Business School um, ends up at uh, a leading tech firm. Sure. So f first, I have always liked uh, technology, you know, uh, because, you know, this is an, an area where you need to innovate, to transform, to scale, to uh, do teamwork, to get the best talent on board, to create. And uh, this is what I have always uh, liked to do. So uh, technology was a natural fit for me. And, you know, my first job was in technology. I worked for a satellite company in the U.S. And uh, since then, I've never left technology. So that's how I came into, uh, into Cambridge. I think the interesting uh, thing with technology at that time, uh, and that's uh, more than 20 years ago, I mean, technology was mostly driven, at least for the top management guys, was mostly driven by uh, uh, engineers. And I thought that um, a perspective uh, from someone, you know, having done a business school uh, would be of some benefit. So that's uh, how I started to collaborate with uh, technology firms. And as I said, I never left. Right. So, uh, look, in a moment, I'll ask you to tell me about some of your projects on the continent, including uh, one that I'm particularly interested in, a wireless broadband project you guys are working on in Guinea. But first... Uh, what do you reckon the the next big trend in wireless technology globally would be? Uh, so speak globally first and then uh, specific to Africa. What's the next big thing globally and what's the next big thing as far as wireless technology on the continent? Yes, this is a very interesting question. And uh, I don't think that there's uh, the next big thing. Or I would say it differently. There's always a next big thing. But if you're looking at things that people are looking for, and I think that's true in several uh technology domains, not only in telecom. People are asking for more capacity. People are asking for a quicker time to market. People are asking for a, a very good quality of service. And people are asking for a low cost. And, you know, when you're looking at the, the, the computers, when you're looking at the smartphones, uh, that's basically the same trend. I think the, the interesting thing as a general trends in, in, in the market regarding telecom is First, you're seeing people that want more and more video streaming. You're seeing people that are using more and more smaller and smaller smartphones. You're seeing people that are now moving into the Internet of Things. And then you're seeing people using more and more the cloud. And all of that requires... Uh, much more capacity. So you need to provide a network that accommodates with those requests in, uh, in high capacity. You know, 10 years ago, people were extremely happy when they had uh, one meg of traffic. Now they're asking for one gig of traffic. So, I mean, that, that, that's a natural trend. The other one, as I said, is time to market. Now people want to have things immediately. In the past, it was normal to wait uh, two months, three months to get a telephone line. Now people, when they go to, uh, I don't know, to an Orange, to when they go to an EE, when they go to an MTN, to a Vodafone, they subscribe, they want to have the facility being provided to them right away. Then there's more and more demand, as I said, for uh, quality of service. I mean, uh, you're not expecting to have to wait a long time to, to see what you've downloaded. And you expect uh, the, what you're seeing either on your phone, on your computer, to be 
HD, so high definition or ultra high definition. So the, um, the, um, clearly the expectations have changed. And last but not least, I mean, uh, everyone wants to uh, have a better quality of service, higher capacity for a lower cost. And, you know, the competitive environment has allowed that to, to happen. So those are the general trends. So IoT, smartphones, video streaming, um, and the cloud. Uh, if you're looking at the specifics in, in Africa, ba basically people will require exactly the same thing. But the difference is that in Africa, in some of the countries, you have a, a more limited uh, infrastructure deployment. You all know that uh, the ARPU is much lower than what you see in other continents or other countries. You know, there are uh, quite a lot of countries where the ARPU in Africa is between 5 to $10, while when you're looking at what it is, for instance, in, uh, in, in, in the U.S., it's 10 times as, uh, as more in the U.S. Then the other thing which is very specific is uh, you have a pretty big digital divide. So you need to find an infrastructure that allows you to bridge that digital divide. And then, you know, you have areas where uh, you have extremely highly densified population and areas where you have almost no one there. So you need to, to find a, a way to build infrastructure to cope with all those uh, specifics in, in Africa. And I believe that uh, wireless is a technology that is an extremely good fit for that. And are you finding that uh, this is a utility-driven environment or a cost-driven environment where the consumer is sort of driving it? Um, or are, is big business still pretty much dictating terms in terms of, you know, what the market should take? What are you, what are you finding? Are you finding that the things you've described basically drive, uh, drive you guys to innovate in a certain direction? Or does it work the other way around? Do we... Are we content as consumers just to take what you're, you're putting out? Well, I think, uh, I don't think there's a one size fits all, and every country has its own uh, characteristics or, or specificity, specificity. Sorry. Um, we, we're seeing more and more, uh, well, it, it's, it started in, in some of the countries with the enterprise because those guys were uh, able to, to pay a pretty high price. And thus, those guys were supposed to get a, a high uh, throughput, high capacity, high quality of service. But that has generalized to uh, the consumers now. And I think the expectations from the enterprise customers and from the residential customers are more or less the same. So it's just a matter of uh, fine-tuning what type of uh, deployment you want to do in order to accommodate for both. But I would say it's a, it's a general trend and we're seeing a, a drive both on the enterprise side and on the consumer side. Right. So talk us through some of the newer emerging uh, operator business cases on the continent for how network functions, visualization, uh, NFV uh, is creating uh, new multi-purpose networks and supporting you know, more unified communication strategies. Talk us through some of the use cases for um, for a seamless uh, delivery of, uh, of communication. Yeah. So first, let me explain uh, how we, we are doing those uh, NFV. So I don't know how much you know about uh, point to multipoint, but uh, what, what we're doing here is that we're mutualizing uh, the infrastructure in, uh, at the hub site, and then we are basically sharing 
through our software, we're sharing the capacity between several remote sites. So basically, you don't need to have at the hub site a, a one-for-one. You only have one piece of equipment, and then you're smartly sharing the capacity with uh, tens or hundreds of remote sites. So I think that's a very cost-effective and smart way to share capacity allowing still each of the remote terminals to have access to the full capacity. So that's how we, we are doing it. What is the, the more sort of traditional approach? What is the typical infrastructure, uh, you know, opposite what you've just told me? Yeah, so normally the typical infrastructure is to put one remote terminal, sorry, one equipment, one piece of equipment at the hub site for every remote terminal that you have. So this is what uh, people call point-to-point. The problem with point-to-point is that, you know, the more remote sites you have, the more expensive it is to build the infrastructure at the hub site. So that's why we, as CBNL, invented about 16 years ago a concept that would allow uh, the remote site terminals to share the common infrastructure with a view, and that has always been our, our driving factor, with a view to reduce total cost of ownership for the enterprises and for the consumers. So basically... Is this designed as a complementary uh, technology to what's existing, or is it designed to replace it or improve upon it in, in, in time? It, it's, it's a combination of both. I mean, in some of the cases, we are replacing full point-to-point networks. In some of the cases, we are complementing uh, point-to-point networks depends of uh, what the operators or what the businesses want to uh, to achieve. I think point-to-point there's still some interesting advantages if you want to have extremely long range or extremely high throughput, but that has a price, that has a cost. Uh, but in cases where you have range up to 20 kilometers and when you have constraints on your spending, then a point to multipoint makes sense. So depending on what uh, type of network the operators want to build, it, we could be either replacing or complementing uh, a point to point network. And what is but I do imagine for like a small country, like for smaller countries on the continent, I think of countries like Guinea. Uh, perhaps countries like uh, Swaziland or Lesotho, for example, also considering, uh, you know, countries like Rwanda, they've got like uh, very mountainous and, and uh, you know, uh, very, lots of vegetation and that kind of thing. I'd, I'd imagine kind of, um, situations like that would be excellent use cases for the kind of technology. Yeah, sure. So what, what, what is a good use case for that technology is clearly when you don't want to or you cannot deploy uh, fiber networks. You know, the, the beauty of fiber is that it is unlimited capacity. So once the, the fiber is deployed, then you have extremely good access to high capacity. But the problem with fiber is also its cost. It, it, it's very, it costs lots of money to deploy because you need to, to dig trenches then you need to, to, to build the, the fiber network. And sometimes, you know, in, in regions or uh, landscape that you've mentioned, it's not something you can do. You know, when you have mountains and everything, not easy to build a fiber network. So once again, you have to take into account the topology of your country uh, and, and then find the best uh, 
the best solution. But uh, the the nice thing with uh, with wireless networks and particularly point to multi point wireless networks is that you can deploy deploy very quickly, because you know it takes. Uh, it takes a couple hours to build a few sites on point-to-multipoint technology. The beauty of point-to-multipoint, as I explained, is you go only once to the hub, and then whenever you add remote terminals, you don't need to go back to the hub to deploy further uh, equipment. So, I mean, while on point-to-point, whenever, as I said, whenever you deploy uh, a, a remote terminal, you need to deploy one piece of equipment at the hub. So beauty of uh, of point to multi point is also time to market and uh, uh, how quick it is to deploy a network. But I do imagine that on the flip side, there are also limitations in as far as you know capacity and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you if you're thinking in terms of population growth and things like that, uh, am I correct? Yeah, well, so, so and I believe there's 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 a fit for each of those technologies, and that's why, by the way, I mean uh, the operators are mixing in their network fiber, and only they're using the fiber for the the the, the, the big uh, and, and long haul network, and then as uh, when you're getting closer to the edge, then you're seeing more and more wireless. Because that makes uh, that makes more sense. So normally for the big, either submarine or ter- terrestrial backbone networks, you see fiber, and then you see that being distributed through wireless. I suppose on on many levels these are economic matters, and perhaps that's where your MBA comes in. I think for the everyday person, um, we probably don't realize just how much uh, you know economics factor into you know network design and maintenance. And certainly upgrades and things like that. So, you know, speak to people, you know, listening to us right now who are adamant that the public is being overcharged for mobile data or or, or broadband. Uh, what makes delivering mobile data, uh, you know, a, a challenge to deliver in Africa, and perhaps more of a challenge than say delivering? Um, you know, broadband via fiber networks elsewhere in the world. What, what, what might we not be fully understanding as a public with regards to, to how these services are delivered? So th- there are several things. Um, you know, when, when operators are charging uh, customers, either uh, consumers, uh, residential or enterprises, there are few things to take into account. First thing is how much does it cost them to deploy their network? So not only the uh, the cost of the infrastructure, but the cost of the maintenance of the network, the cost of the spectrum when they have to buy spectrum, uh, the cost of the maintenance. Uh, all those costs uh, could 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 be uh, pre- pretty heavy. So that's that's the first element. So how much does it cost them to build a network and to run a network? Second thing is okay. What is the competitive environment? Uh, is it uh, one competitor? Is it 10 competitors? Uh, that, that has an impact as well. And third thing is what are the customers, either enterprises or residential, are willing to, to pay? Uh, so they have to take that into account whenever they, they charge or they price their, uh, their services. Generally speaking, um, building a a fiber network is quite expensive. As I said previously, once it is built, then of course it provides a a, a great deal of of capacity. But 
I think the problem with that is the operators have to make a pretty heavy upfront investment. And thus, if they want to make their business case uh, reliable and sustainable, they have to charge uh, at a pretty high price. The beauty of uh, wireless and more particularly the point-to-multipoint wireless networks that uh, CBNL uh, delivers and supplies is that you can basically pay as you grow. So you can start with a pretty uh, modest network, let's say one access point and one remote terminal, and then as you're getting more and more businesses, you can invest more and more in your network. So then you can have a... Uh, you, you can have a a very interesting pricing model to your uh, to your customers. Then, as I said, in terms of investment itself, because of the point-to-multipoint and virtual networks that we're providing, the total cost of ownership, both OPEX and CAPEX, is between 30 to 50% uh, less expensive with our technology than other point-to-point or fiber technologies. So, yes, uh, I, I would consider that as being an opportunity more than a, a challenge. And this is why we're seeing more and more uh, customers. This is why we're getting more and more new customers uh, in Africa and ge- generally speaking all around the world. And so what do you make of the, all the recent announcements uh, that we've, we've heard? You're, probably, you're quite in touch with what's happening here on the continent, particularly in South Africa. Uh, there have been announcements by the likes of Vodacom, MTN, as well as smaller companies like Dark Fiber Africa, all declaring how they'll be investing aggressively in IoT infrastructure over the next couple of years. Would your, would your technologies be um, at play in these sort of uh, endeavors? Yes, we, we clearly are, and we, we have been for quite a while. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, as I said, all those new technologies or new, I would say, um, ways of communicating will create a bottleneck at, at a certain level of the network. So, for instance, if you take IoT, IoT is normally a pretty low speed, pretty low capacity moving from one place to another place, but they are thousands or millions or billions of, of those devices. And, you know, when you're looking at IoT, uh, there's probably going to be about 50 billion uh, connected devices in the next five to seven years. So lots of devices, pretty low throughput, but those devices at some point need to go to the core of the network. So you need to find ways to aggregate all those low speeds um, um, connections into a, a pretty high capacity uh, pipe. So this is where we're playing. So we, we are working a lot on finding the best and the most cost-effective ways to, uh, to optimize how we are aggregating the IoT uh, to the core of the network. When I think of the kind of technology you guys are involved in, I think of uh, some of your larger competitors, the Huawei's of this world and uh, your ZTE's, etc. Who is eye level um, as far as you're concerned in terms of uh, the size of your business, the, the, the projects that you typically roped into? Um, give me an example of someone who uh, you might consider a direct competitor to what you're doing. I mean, granted, you've got unique technologies, but in terms of like delivering solutions, 
who who in the world do you guys uh, peer do, do you consider a peer? Uh, well, you know, if you're looking at how um, we could segment the, the the market, so you you have companies that are doing the same things as we do, which is um, point to multi point license wireless technologies. And there's a couple of companies that are uh, active in that uh, in that segment, but you know CBNL is clearly the leader with uh, I would say 40 to 50 percent market share. So that that's one type of competitors. Then you have all the big players, people like uh, you know the Huawei, the ZTE, the Ericsson, the Nokia that you mentioned, that are mostly providing. Uh, point-to-point technologies. They're also providing fiber, but on on the wireless side, they're providing point-to-point technologies. And this is really the market that we are now tackling. In the past, there was a pretty big gap between point-to-point and point-to-multi-point. Point-to-point being higher capacity, uh, much longer range, but that gap is now becoming... Uh, narrower and narrower so that, that there's almost no uh, major differences in terms of capacity between point to point and point to multipoint so my my point to speak so is that now we are targeting at replacing more and more of those point to point networks uh, being sold by the the big guys as i call them and are you are you do you mean in terms of reliability in my mind, it's not quite uh, right to compare, say, uh, you know, 4G LTE, uh, you know, technology with, say, Wi-Fi in terms of reliability. I mean, there are obviously different reasons you'd use different ones, etc. But from a reliability point of view, they're not comparable technologies at this point. You're saying that a multi-point technology has reached a point to multi-point technology has reached a point where you can compete in terms of reliability and uh, and quality as well. Yes, you know, what, what we're providing is clearly carrier-grade uh, products. So, I mean, we first we are operating in what we call a, a licensed uh, segment, which means that for an operator to deploy a network, they must obtain first uh, the spectrum from the regulator, the frequency from the regulator. The beauty of a licensed spectrum is that it's less congested less polluted that, uh, than sorry, the, the Wi-Fi uh, products that are non-licensed, unlicensed. So right. means that anyone, you know, when, when you're deploying an unlicensed networks, ev- everyone, anyone can deploy such a network, which means that you can have in a very short uh, uh, range, in a very small area, you can have, I don't know, five, six, ten networks uh, living one next to the other. So, um, bottom line is the networks are congested and they are interfering one with the other, which is not the case at all when you have uh, licensed networks, which is exactly what we do. At the end of the day, and I'm not saying that uh, Wi-Fi doesn't make sense, at the end of the day, everything is driven by the, uh, the business model and by the expectations the, co- the consumers have and the amount of money they're willing to pay in their service. So there is lots of cases where, and you were asking about use cases, there are lots of cases where we're combining our, uh, our products for the backhaul part of it, and then we're using Wi-Fi for the edge part of it. So to do either indoor coverage or in-house coverage, 
Wi-Fi, uh, now with the new standards on 802.11, Wi-Fi can do a very good job. And then, you know, if you want to have high-grade uh, backhaul network, then we're using our, uh, our technology. So we have a number of networks deployed that are combining both Wi-Fi unlicensed and CBNL products licensed. And are you doing all that in-house or are you partnering with the likes of Ruckus and those guys to, to deliver on that? So clearly, I mean, all the uh, licensed products, we do that in-house. You know, we own okay. all the IP. Uh, we design everything by ourselves. We have a team of uh, 40 engineers here in Cambridge uh, that are developing the latest uh, technologies uh, and solutions in-house. We own all of that. And for the uh, the edge side of it, so the Wi-Fi um, type of products, we, we have partnership with a number of, uh, I would say, uh, major vendors. So we've done a few networks with Ruckus, but we're doing that as well with uh, some Cisco products and whatever. So we, we, we are pretty uh, open uh, in terms of interfacing with the, uh, the Wi-Fi vendors. Pretty agnostic as, that, as far as yeah, it's concerned. Yeah, very agnostic, yes. So, listen, finally, I, you know, I'm going to ask you a sort of geopolitical, sociopolitical <laughs> question. Um, spectrum management is very topical at the moment. I have this theory that governments feel that they missed the first boat in terms of being meaningfully involved in the rollout and management of mobile infrastructure, um, a, a process which, of course, led to the rise of these massive 800-pound gorillas like MTN, Econet, uh, you know, Vodacom and Airtel on the continent. So there, now there's, you know, no doubt that African governments, not least, you know, Egypt and South Africa more recently, are trying to make sure that when it comes to the allocation of LTE spectrum, for example, that one, they don't enable mobile networks to maintain unfair monopolies, and two, they find ways for their, you know, for the, their, constitu their constituents, i.e., you know, the public, um, that we the people profit more directly from the growth in the sector. So what do you make of this theory of mine? And what are your thoughts on how best to manage spectrum allocation and the growth and hopefully the proliferation of, 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 of mobile wireless and broadband services? Sure. So, and, and I think, Andy, this is a very, very good uh, question. And I would bring several uh, several answers to that. So first, uh, as you know, the, the spectrum is being granted by the regulators. So first thing, um, I think the, the regulators um, have learned from the, the mistakes they have made in the past. And, you know, you, you, you clearly know what WiMAX is. If you're looking at the amount of money that the regulators were asking for WiMAX licenses, that was really, I mean, uh, crazy. I mean, uh, those guys were asking so much money that the business cases of the operators didn't make sense. So, you know, when you right. have to, just to give you an example, in Europe, the WiMAX licenses were sold for $150 billion. And then only very few companies were able to survive because of the huge amount of fees they had to pay for the licenses. So if you don't make the business case reliable and viable and sustainable for operators, half or two-thirds of them will, will disappear and will not survive. So at the end of the day, 
it will not serve what the regulators are supposed to do, which is to provide high quality and low cost to the population. So once again, if you're only, as per your question, allowing the big guys to survive, then you have little competition and thus the uh, consumers will not benefit from, uh, from that, that, that competition. So I think they've learned from that and now they are much more reasonable on what they want to charge the spectrum for. So I think being more realistic makes more sense and at the end of the day better serves uh, the, uh, the, the consumers. So that, that, that's one thing. The other thing that the regulators have done is that now they are, I would say, having a, a much tighter, um, I would say, look at the different technologies that are being made available on the market. And some of the technologies for some of the applications make more cost-effective sense uh, especially for the population. So I was mentioning uh, what we are doing as a CBNL, so providing point-to-multipoint platforms. Point-to-multipoint, for the reasons that I have explained, provide a 30 to 50% TCO savings. And back to the regulators, in some cases, the regulators have asked the operators to promote point-to-multipoint because it was uh, providing a much lower ser- uh, cost, uh, less expensive service to the population. So there are available technologies like the ones that we are providing and for which now the regulators are asking the operators to have a, a, a very uh, good look at what those technologies are doing and sometimes they are imposing those technologies to be deployed for certain requirements. Which, of course, you don't mind at all. <laughs> of course, we don't mind at all. <laughs> and so perhaps my last question, um, is there a, a, a technology trend, an innovation trend um, globally or here on the continent um, that's, uh, you know, exciting you uh, perhaps more than others at the moment? Well, you know, I mean, um, I think what is exciting for us is... Uh, to start from a situation where you have a huge uh, digital divide, where there's no infrastructure, uh, when you know uh, the uh, the environment doesn't make it easy to deploy a fiber network or whatever, and uh, to 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 match that with a very strong demand from the population to have the quality of service, the low cost that uh, you, you were mentioning. So that's why, you know, we've been extremely excited and I would say uh, successful in Africa. As you might know, we're doing business with about 24 customers in Africa in about 14 countries. We've been uh, very active on the continent for more than 10 years. Um, we have major networks being deployed, <laughs> starting from uh, Greenfield, and I think all of that is extremely exciting. So to be, to be more precise, I think there's a number of uh, very interesting networks that we have deployed, and uh, I, could, I could name a few, but as I said, we've deployed uh, uh, with more than 24 customers. So one of them is clearly what we have been doing with uh, the MTN group across uh, Africa, it's a customer we've been working uh, with for 10 years. We've deployed, I mean, a, a major network in, uh, in Nigeria. So basically providing the, uh, the global infrastructure for their uh, wireless network. So I think that's interesting. This is growing. 
And the interesting thing with MTN is that we started with one country and now we're expanding in, uh, in many more countries with them. So I think this is, this is very interesting. This is a backhaul. We are now also doing enterprise with MTN, but we started uh, with, with that backhaul one. The, the other one which is interesting is uh, Vodacom. Vodacom is a, is a long-time customer of, uh, of uh, CBNL. And we're doing a lot of enterprise networks with, uh, with Vodacom. So we're providing businesses with a high throughput, uh, high connectivity, and uh, that, that, that's an interesting one as well. And if I, prev- if I prevailed upon you to, to choose a trend outside of your core business, what would it be? Like, as random as you like, sir. Fin- fintech, um, e- e-learning, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you like how thin televisions are getting. <laughs> well, I think once again, I think what what is extremely interesting is how people want to be connected in their private life now. So, I mean, in the past, I mean, a connection, you know, uh, uh, telecommunication was only for uh, basically a business business life. Now everyone wants to be connected. So the thing that uh, amazes me is when I see those people running with with, with their iPhones and measuring the, uh, I mean the speed they've been reaching and the number of steps they've been they've been doing, and the number of uh, of floors they've been climbing, and to to go back home to to connect that on their computer and see the statistics. So I think that's a, that's a very interesting trend. So all the things that are related to um, having your your uh, Private life online now, I think, is quite exciting. Okay, I think that's as as good a place as any to end it. Thank you very much, Lionel, for your time and all the best with it. Uh, Here's to hoping our paths cross soon. Well, thank you very much for spending the time with with, with us and uh, and, uh, looking forward to um, updating you on the next big things uh, for Africa or uh, around the world. Awesome.